Hey, I had the Johannes Hussfrost Crabo, Frost Crabo, Frost Crabo. You know you're a fake. Bruno is in good shape, so I think it'll be an interesting weekend. You know you're a fake. Finishing stretch in today's race, so you had to make sure you save a little energy for that. Um, well, competition, competition, you know, competition, you know, competition, you know. First of all, skis need wax. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. But they are who we thought they were. They gotta have paraffin ironed onto them. So and we let them off the hook. You're going to have to scrape skis. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. I'm Haley Swerbel. <laughs> I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. It's illegal in nine countries. No! You're skiing very wise. No! See, here we have with the hero Bjorn Daly. A lot. Fast, the skis are just fast as lightning. You know, we're gonna have to work hard, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to train hard, but you know, this this group has got a has got a gnarly work ethic, you know, so that's not gonna be the problem. Just be tough, you know. I think I think that that's a way that skiers American skiers have found success in the past, but I don't think that that's likely to change. Ready? I was born. Maybe we should trash the place, send them a little message. It's so disgraceful the way you say that. I've had it with this dump! You got no food, you got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling out! Welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast, broadcasting live, Shovel Lake Public Radio, here out of Leadville, Colorado. Cedar Skier Podcast, end of November, beginning of December. There's not a whole lot of snow on the ground, but hopefully you've been getting out and doing some skiing. We have been saving it here, thanks to Leadville Cross Country's hard efforts. We're plugging them as a sponsor. I don't even care. Welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast, brought to you by Leadville Cross Country Ski. Leadville Cross Country Ski is based at Mount Massive Golf Course in Leadville, the highest golf course in North America, and President Dan Botswanis does a great job of keeping the snow going, grooming. The thing I like about Dan is the first day that you know you could possibly groom, he will groom, and on the last day of the year that that you could possibly groom, he will be trying to do so. And then even after that, he knows all the secret places to find the best crust skiing, to find the late snow. Uh, between him and some of the other locals, we figure out how to ski around here from about October to sometimes into July, I've heard. Last year, we made it till almost the end of May, but we had a quick melt. This year, we have not been quite as fortunate with the early volume of snow, but Dan has been working hard around the clock shoveling snow from where it is onto the trails at the golf course and uh, we've got a good 6 to 10k loop and it's still going strong although now as I say this broadcasting to you here at the beginning of December we have a stretch of 4 or 5 days where it's supposed to be 41 degrees and sunny as a high it still gets cold 8 degrees or so I think is a low 5 to 8 so it's cold at night but that sun and heat I, I just I don't know how it's gonna hold up I keep telling him every time I show up at the course I'm like how is this gonna possibly last another day but it does so he must be waking up in the middle of the night to shovel the remaining uh, pieces of snow that he's got onto our trail if not I think we will have a you know lap pool uh, like we had right at the end of October 
uh, Ajay and I were doing some back and forth on the golf course, you know, just a 200-yard fairway up and down for a couple hours. That's not really fun at all, but if, it, if worse comes to worse, we might have that. Otherwise, we might have to go in search of other things. Who knows? You know, every, we can work remotely in today's day and age, so maybe we'll be making a trip up to Minnesota. We do have to get up there to get our new fleet of skis at some point here. Well, anyway, thank you for joining us on the show today. we got a good show. We wanted to recap what happened in Ruka, Finland, the World Cup opener. Uh, I also have a hot take on Carson Wentz and the Minnesota Vikings. And um, if we've got time, maybe we'll start playing our Jim Galanis uh, interview on this show. That would be kind of exciting. I, I do think maybe we need to just bring Jim onto the show. And what I mean by that is we need we need someone to in, enhance our World Cup take, right? I think I'm sure he's following uh, the races over there, and he would be able to give us some insight and reflection on it. Um, you're going to be able to tell here after listening to us that well, I shouldn't say this. No, we are the fastest growing podcast, the fastest growing ski podcast, the best insight, right? We have the hottest takes, so that's why you that's why you listen to us, right? Um, and, and so maybe we wouldn't need we wouldn't need Jim's expertise, would we? No, I'm just kidding. It would be cool to have Jim on each week to talk about the uh, what he thought about the World Cup. You know, uh, faster skier has Devin Kershaw join him. We'd have Jim Galanis. I think we would. I think we would. You know, that would rival it. I think. So anyway, Ruka, Finland, the first World Cups. Here's something I didn't really realize right away that uh, Ruka, Finland is so far north. I mean, when I was watching these, it's, you know, it looks like they're racing like at night and it's like the middle of the day there, but it's also already dusk. I told my wife, I was like, if I lived in Finland, I think I would legitimately gain 100 pounds, right? In the winter, you would just, you'd... You'd wake up and maybe be ambitious to like get out the door and do something, but at two o'clock or one o'clock or whenever the sun goes down, you just be like, "Well, the day's over," because because how many of you pe- people out there feel like that right now? You know, when it's five twenty, once the sun goes down, I've been I've been doing some skis uh, workout sessions until uh, about you know anywhere between five forty five and six fifteen, I'll still be out there, and, and that means you're putting in thirty minutes at least in the dark. And it's cold, and you, you kind of feel like you're running at midnight, you know, in the summer, where you're just like, "What am I doing out here? Oh wow, I'm gonna really pay for this tomorrow. Oh, it's really late." Uh, th- that's kind of how I feel, and and it's like I would never be able to put up with that long term. And and I think, you know, six o'clock it gets dark for me. I like to go to bed early, get up early, so I'm kind of okay winding down. You know, when I get home and seven, eight o'clock, it's fine. I'm okay being inside, uh, but two o'clock. Like I, I actually think, or one o'clock or noon, I think I would do that. Like as soon as the sun goes down, I'm like, well, it's just the end of the day. I don't know if our bodies are wired like that, you know, but it sort of seems like they are. So anyway, I, I think that would be <laughs> kind of interesting. I think if you're over there with a job to do to compete, it wouldn't matter as much. But if you lived there full time, it'd be kind of weird. So, uh, you know, I think that's kind of interesting. Beautiful place. Matt Wickham says he really likes it. I, I took some quotes from the interview. He was talking about the... I think the word he used was microcosmic, microcosm, what was, what was, what did he say? He likes the microcosmic feel of the place. No reason to leave, right? The stadium is cool. It drops dramatically out of, out of the stadium to begin each race. So anyway, I'm still working on getting our audio, by the way. So getting a technology where I can just play these. I couldn't download 
the audio from our faster skier interviews. And I don't think Malikum wants to talk to the cedar skier at this point. Uh, but anyway, we'll work on getting that so we can play some of those maybe in a future show. But th- there was no download uh, button available. So I just took some notes from the athlete interviews and observations. Um, so they talked a little bit about, you know, the quarantine process, COVID and everything. Uh, Matt was kind of saying how athletes are with their roommate nonstop. And in the future weekends, it sounds like there's going to be a little more group involvement. His favorite venue is in Finland. So like I said, he really enjoys this uh, race. Uh, And then he kind of went into some observations for the women's sides. This was after the sprint qualification round. And I think there was some disappointment as a fan, at least when you watched that or looked at the results for for both men and women in surface level. So after I, you know, did my ski, went home and, uh, went on cross country ski, the Weebly page, right? Uscrosscountryski.com. And then was going to watch the replays of the world cup a day later. And it was kind of a bummer to, first of all, not get to see our guys in the rounds, you know, none of them made it. And, and basically the talk was, look, Schumacher and JC being in kind of that 30 or 40th range on this course was really amazing. And I had to just kind of go, I sort of rolled my eyes, right? Okay, this again, right? Like you're giving us some encouragement and is, how do we know if this really is encouraging? Um, And sometimes that's frustrating, right? Like we just kind of want this instantaneous gratification, like bam, we have a star. He gets fifth, right? Like when Klabo was 20, he was... He was already trying to win a gold medal. He already was winning gold medals. So, you know, we want that kind of. Um, and, you know, that's Randy Moss. And Gus Schumacher seems to be more like Jordan Jefferson. I think he is not quite as a, uh, much of a super freak. But he he could be legitimately the best 20-year-old on the World Cup. You know, and we'll find out. <clears throat> and I think he might kind of quietly come in there and do that. So when I heard that first that, oh, this is really encouraging, don't get discouraged, I I was a shrug your shoulders, roll your eyes, roll your eyes, shrug your shoulders, shake your head, right? That was a little bit me. <clears throat> but then I was like, well, we got we got the women in here, right? Like we've got, we qualified. Was it Haley Swirble, Jesse Diggins, kind of that usual crew. We got Rosie Brennan. And, um, and you're thinking, all right, well, we got something to watch here. Well, then all of them failed to make it through that first quarterfinal. And <clears throat> right away, I watched Diggins. He, she was just out of it completely. It's like, well, that's awful, right? She looked terrible. And then you kind of come back. You're like, okay, Matt would come sort of comforts me a little bit with Diggins and this is like her seventh day on snow right her heat ends up being like three seconds faster than everyone else's and had all those top contenders in it so well she looked like she was kind of not in it at all you know in any other heat she might have been pushing in into the lead so I'm like okay maybe that wasn't that bad you know and then Swerble she looks like just this calm cool veteran I, I thought of all of them she seemed the most like the type of person that eventually you could see kind of controlling a race. Brennan was right in there, right? And she placed very well. She always kind of looks like she's grinding. Like she's going 115%. It's great. Like her face and her demeanor and everything. It is all out plus a little more. And I like that. Uh, but she doesn't quite have, or she doesn't look, right? This is just looks. We're going on it. Um, she doesn't quite look like quite as calm, collected, cool, savvy as like Swerble did in her heat. So I think Swerble might be sort of the 
the uh, home run hitter on our team, maybe. You know, and sh- and she's proven that she can win domestically. And now, you know, she just kind of goes over there and, and kind of looks like she has the same confidence. So I'm sort of excited to keep tabs on that. I want to see her blow up. Uh, Brennan is like, seems like the rock, solid, right? It's really cool that she has, um, she comes, she came over there ready to compete and just was like gritty and tough. Again, this is just what you're kind of watching. And, and I, and it was a bummer that she didn't make it through the rounds, but then, you know, in the next two days really, uh, was the clear cut, most relevant performer, right? She finished fifth overall, uh, if you adding, adding up all those races. So that was pretty neat to see. And, and I like seeing a workhorse who's, you know, about our age, right? Uh, uh, not like the total young rookie. She's paid her dues and, um, and got another chance to do great. And I guess she's done pretty well at Ruka before. So um, whatever that is, if she's like peaked for it, I don't know. Hopefully not. You know, I, I Hopefully this is like a year where she'll kind of pull a David Norris and just be like a consistent veteran presence there. So, and then, you know, here's the other encouraging thing on the women's side was, again, right away I was pretty hard on Diggins. And I'm not a huge fan of Jesse Diggins, to be honest. I think she, her, the whole glitter thing is a little bit, it, I think like, you know, she's, it seems fake and it's like the, her intent is the opposite. Like this, she's being super real and authentic and, and is just that excited. And to me, it comes off as being fake, you know? And so I, I don't like that, but what I will say I do like is the things Diggins says about skiing and performing. I'm kind of on board with, you know, like she's won a gold medal before she could take the route of either being super cocky about it and super uppity and she's not or she could take the road of like I've kind of done everything I've ever wanted to do so I'm gonna just kind of slough off and she doesn't do that either she she is what she says even if it's coming across as cheesy or is cheesy is is kind of right on where it's I'm I'm gonna work as hard as I can I'm gonna enjoy each and every moment and I'm gonna learn from each and every moment she does live that out you know and and she gives it everything she can in training and in racing it's very cool. It's not just one or the other either, which would be, I guess, the other option, right? She could she could be kind of a prima donna who, when the race shows up, she gives it everything she's got, but she's, you know, yeah. if you don't do the work 364 days a year, that 365th day, it, it, who cares if you give all your effort that day? You haven't really given 100% effort to be the best that you can be. So I do like Diggins in that sense. She gives, we're getting 100% of the best Jesse Diggins, I think, when we see her. And she spreads herself pretty thin, you know, especially now. She's much more than just a skier. She's the face of skiing for us. She's the face of a lot of different movements and I think that's admirable that she is giving her all in a wide range of things I think it does affect her skiing but I think it's okay because you know it's more than just skiing that's it's more than about just that and I like her perspective on that that she's pouring it all in and and so it was encouraging to see even though you know she kind of stumbles it's like ah yeah Jesse you don't look too hot right now and in the uh qual in the sprint rounds you know, you kind of go, maybe she wasn't actually all that bad. And then, you know, in the skate and the pursuit, she put up, what was it like the third or fifth best time? Um, <clears throat> and so if, if you're thinking, I, I think she could ground into form here. You know, the, the team did a time trial the next weekend with five nations and, you know, we get a picture of Diggins cornering and faster skier and looks good and Facebook following Matt Wickham. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of now I'm back on, on like, I sort of want to see Diggins come under the radar and maybe like steal a world championship 
from some of these Norwegian or Swedish teams that are are deciding to skip out on the next few World Cups. <clears throat> By the way, and that's so maybe I should quick say on the girls women's side, you know, that's that those are my thoughts is at first first thought was wow, we don't look too hot. And after the weekend was over, I was like maybe this isn't such a bad start, you know, for the team that uh Brennan looked really encouraging and Wickham prophesied it. He said after Friday night that she was going to have a great weekend and she did. Um, <clears throat> so that looked really good uh, for her. And then it was kind of encouraging to see Swirble. I thought compete like a veteran in there. Well, none of the athletes were really relevant in the uh, pursuit other than I thought it was notable that Diggins had a really fast time um, in that. And on the men's side, Schumacher <clears throat> really showed some amazing um some amazing performances there right like he was up there in the sprints and JC was just a little bit in front of him but then Schumacher was like right in the 30 spot <clears throat> right around there you know for the classic and the pursuit so that was the most encouraging thing and i think i heard that there was only one person who was younger than him in front of him and like he would have been the youngest person by three or four years everywhere else so he really was an anomaly up there like a little a little guy messing up with the with the men you know and doing so so good on him I think he he is kind of showing that Jordan Jefferson thing so maybe we'll see him break out some what's the dance that Jefferson does I don't know but but Schumacher Schumacher will be fun to watch because I think he is going to be our version of the guy that we can kind of get behind now now I think of like Andy Newell I didn't follow ski racing too much when he was in the prime but but wasn't Newell a little bit like that too or super talented or uh you know an incredible agility for a skier and a threat right but couldn't really or didn't really put in you know every single weekend he's in the top 10 or top five and I think that's what we need at this point, we we can't have Schumacher be someone who is good enough to win or podium, but then only does it at the tiny races where no one else is there or only does it, you know, every 20 weeks, right? We need Schumacher to be like our Ustiagav or... You know, one of those one of those Russian guys who's like always in the top five, you know, and when it's his day, he might even might even crack the podium. You know, he doesn't have to be Bolshinov. Bolshinov is a star. Klavo is a star. If Schumacher becomes that, that's great. But even if he's just a reasonable threat to the top 10 and a mainstay, you know, someone who's just kind of always right there, um, kind of puts in more like Sadie Bjornsson type results where you where you're just like encourage and maybe a threat to win maybe sometimes but just a solid skier a solid world cup skier we need something like that that would be a start and i think that's kind of a sadly here's the pressure right for gus is that's sort of like the bare minimum expectation for him he kind of needs to be that because if he's not and this then it sort of sets the tone for this whole young group that it's just going to be just like any other of the previous groups that we kind of get excited but they're not they don't take the next step so to speak and that's not even me bashing our history you know like I know we're doing everything we can and that's great and I and I love these guys that's me being critical as like a total you know uh fan on the couch watching right like and and we're greedy as americans right we're kind of used to we've we have michael phelps okay like we've got we've uh, we got to have the best people <laughs> we have gabby douglas we have simone biles we're uh, we're winning uh the gold medals right sarah hughes 
all these Olympic sports, Lindsey Vaughn and skiing. We want to just have the top guy. And I'm even being a little less. I'm just saying, hey, the step in the direction for rebuilding is Gus has to be like a top 10 guy every week. Well, it's been really great ski talk to start the show today. Hope you're enjoying this show episode of Ski, not Skiologian. I almost said Skiologian, Cedar Skier Podcast. We talk hardcore sports right now, hardcore skiing, the best dialogue you've got. Um, So here's something, though, that happened right after Ruka, right? Norway, first Klabo pulls out of the next World Cups, says COVID. Then then it was Emil Iverson or one of his teammates, right? Then the whole Norwegian team a couple days later, a couple days later, and then you've got Sweden pulls. Did Finland pull too? It is weird, right? Like all those Scandinavian co- countries are like, all right, we're not going to contest until tour to ski, which is right away in January. And when when Klabo pulled out individually, like my first thought was, is this like some sort of doping thing, right? Like he's on a doping schedule and and it's kind of convenient to just say it's COVID. And I get it. Maybe this is because I've been reading way too much Lance Armstrong books, but you just kind of wonder. And not that it really, I don't know if it really would matter in skiing. I, I know doping plays a role, but honestly, if you've got lightning fast, Klabo is skiing on the best skis in the world. Okay. He is. So he has the fastest skis. He is also the most talented skier. You can eat doping, no doping, good skis or bad skis. If you just watch him, he, his technique is the best. He's the best innovator. He is the best tactician. And while some of those it is helped by the fact that he's got the best equipment, it's he's the best skier out there. Okay. So even if he wasn't or I, I guess I'm saying is, is who really cares if it was some doping thing? It's like he's already got so many advantages. Uh, does he really even need that? Um, I don't know. You know, like to me, to me, uh, now that I've kind of watched skiing, watched and read about cycling, and Jim Galanis, our guest, right, he would probably rip me a new one for kind of saying that doping doesn't matter in skiing. I get it. It matters. And I think it matters similarly to how it matters in running, which is to say it can help your training, which is going to make you fitter and just to just be better. It is not the same thing as cycling, though, because when you're talking grand tours and it's three weeks in a row of 120 mile races or four hour sessions on the bike, six hour sessions on the bike, those are things that are physiologically impossible to do unless you dope. So if we watched a Tour de France where everyone was truly clean, what you would see is after five or six days, right, like stage seven or eight, which is usually when they take the blood bag, because that's when they start to need it to keep performance at that high of a level, you would start to see people just dying, you know, like, and the performances would start to decrease. And instead, what we see every year is around stage eight, the first kind of major move of the tour is made, you know, and, and an athlete brings out some insane performance. And then it happens again, usually around stage 12, 13 or 14, and then usually the second to last stage, right? And, and you see these unreal performances. I mean, just Google it, right? Like stage 17, insane climb, right? None of that would happen without the aid of doping. Unless I guess you just had a rider 
you know, totally sandbag for the first 14 days and then crush, you know, the mountain uh, stage on stage 14. But that's not the case, right? You see your, your grand tour leaders from the start. They have to be relevant. They might be saving, but they're still they're still putting in four or five hour sessions on the bike for, for a week and a half and then killing it. And of course, we have this documented. This is why the, the those who have come forward and said, here was the doping scheme, here was the doping plan. It was it was very strategic. They needed those um, reinfusions, the blood bags. The night before those key, those critical stages, it was it was a it was a totally, and they and they talk about how if you're riding on bread and water, that's that's you're you're not doped, and how much of a disadvantage that was, and they're just in the peloton looking at you know sprinters who are climbing up hills with ease on big chain ring, you know, and and well I'm on bread and water, he's not, and he's doing amazing. You see this clear difference. So cycling, I just I feel like the doping it, doping is more of a problem in cycling because it, it's like it's such a tangible advantage within the event, whereas. For skiing, it's a, it's a lot more like running where you're not going to see someone take, or at least we don't know of any performance enhancing drug that would, you take it the night before and now you have an insane advantage. There, there might be cases where there, obviously, you know, we had some of those skiers get caught at the world championships in 2019 and I think it was 2019, right? And so some, some advantage. Yeah, sure. Like if you do that, but, but the, 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 uh, cumulative toll of a grand tour that, that you're physiologically, you just simply can't do it. When you dope, then the distance you put on the person who's not doping is so much greater because when you think about it, coming into a, a typical world cup weekend, you're racing two days in a row, the body can do that. You know, like, and if you're training right, you can come in and give two days of hard efforts. Your second day, you, 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 you know, you're, you're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage, certainly. Um, but dope and doping will help, but it's, it's not going to put the, and, and okay, I should say doping should help. And it might be the difference between winning and losing. So there, Jim, if you're listening and you're still talking, I, I do think it's, it could be significant enough to be the difference between winning and winning and losing. And quite frankly, it's not right. So we should be fighting against it. But it's not going to ever be something so noticeable that um, that we're just like watching it and going, that's not humanly possible. He must be doping like we do in cycling. We can literally just watch it and watch stage 14 and go, this isn't right. You know, there's, there's the human body can't do this. It shouldn't be doing that. So there's kind of my spiel on doping. And that was my original thought, right? And so then, and, and now looking back, right, we saw Clabo go, these individual athletes, then the whole team. I don't get why that was. How is it that Clabo is leaving, then the team decides to leave, you know, and then they chalk it up to COVID. Like you would definitely think that the team is making that choice before Clabo. Is Clabo running the Norwegian team that much? And again, I haven't listened to other people talk about this, so I don't know if I'm like broken record here, but that just seemed really strange as a fan. Like an individual athlete says, I'm done, and then the team drops, you know, and and there's a lot to dissect here because it's like, okay, is it really COVID, right? And now you're telling me you're going to go back, compete in Norway, which they have, and nothing looked different in those Norwegian-only races up in uh, Shushan, 
right? They were they were close to each other. There were no masks even in the picture. So if you want to be, you know, like virtue signaling there, they weren't doing that. You know, we, I saw pictures of the top three in the races. We saw Helen and Torise and, and these other athletes next to each other. It looked exactly like the World Cup race in Ruka. <clears throat> so as much as you're going to say, well, the people in Ruka didn't do an amazing job or as good as they could, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they did good enough or at least as good as anyone else will do, right? Like maybe there is an argument that, that there's more to be done, but can it really be done, right? If we're going to hold these events, there's going to be some inherent risk, I suppose, of spreading the virus. So it just seems like a really strange call for the for all those Scandinavian teams to drop um, because unless they're they're dropping and then going into the bunker and really hunkering down, you know, like really going, all right, this virus is freaky, it's dangerous, it's deadly, I don't want it. So we need to do everything to stop ourselves. And then, and the, then they go into their basement. Now I'm all for, I'm all, I'm, I'm understanding. I'm like, well, okay, if you think it's that much of a threat, then you should do what you need to do, which would be that. But if you drop and then go back to your country, train hard, race hard against each other, you're doing the exact same things you do on the World Cup, it just seems stupid. Like, I don't know. I, I think that's a slap in the face. And, and it's, it's just, for me, it's like, what is going on here? What's really behind this? Because either, again, like either they have kind of an inconsistency here where they're saying the virus is, is so dangerous that they're going to leave the World Cup, but then they're just going to go do everything that they would do on the World Cup. But, you know, they're not traveling. They're staying in their own homes. Like, who cares? You know, like you're still mingling around. You're still training, which is lowering your immune system, right? And just because you're in your own home do, isn't like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You're still, again, like listen to Matt Wickham, right? They were... In the, in this in Ruka, they're they're with their partner. They're holed up pretty like tight. The quarantine, uh, not quarantine, that's the wrong word, but but just like it wasn't normal, right? They were doing precautions. One athlete with one athlete, you, you only see your your buddy. You know, they weren't even having like the team meals or team groups. You saw the Instagram posts of their team meeting, right? They're standing like thirty feet apart outside with masks on. It's pretty overkill, you know. So <laughs> I don't know. I am super shocked but incredibly impressed and very thrilled that the u.s is like now nah, we came over here we got a job to do we're gonna keep doing it and we're we're we're, we're fine with how ruka handled it and then they go and organize that that five nation team time trial i thought that was fantastic <clears throat> and it's not because i'm a a covid denier i'm not that at all i'm saying you you you're you're making a decision already so be consistent and I think that's the bottom line is these Scandinavian countries aren't being consistent. They would be consistent if they dropped out of the World Cup, went to their basements, shut it down. That would be consistent. But leaving the World Cup and going and training and racing on your own in your own country, I'm sorry. Like you have maybe reduced the risk of, of contracting the virus or spreading the virus, but not by enough. Okay. It's the the margin, the, the cost benefit ratio there. It's not, it's not significant enough to be worth it. And I, I'm happy that the Americans thought that. If, if the virus was spreading like crazy, it had a 20% death rate, and Matt Whitcomb goes, hey, guys, it's not even safe for us to be here. We're going to go back to America. It looks like the World Cup's not going to happen. We, we, could, we could live with that if that was th the case. Now, 
but it's not. And he and he made the decision to stay there. I think that's a, the smart call. And I hope I hope Andy Musgrave takes the World Cup title from Clabo. I hope the Americans get some of these World Cup points. I hope they stick it to him in the next few events. And I hope it pays off. You know. And what I will say could happen is all these teams that are not taking the time off are going to get thrashed at the Tour de Ski because the Norwegians will be fresh. And or even if they they peak for that Tour de Ski, Tour de Ski, you're going to see Norwegians either you know dope to the gills and and just crushing at world championships or even if they're not dope they'll just be totally fresh for that you know and it'll be totally a strategic move for the season I don't know you know but I would love to see Clabo pay the price of not winning that you know overall title uh, points title because of this and Bolshanov repeats maybe Bolshanov gets enough confidence to overtake him I think that's fine it's good for the sport for sure um but it's a bummer for the sport that that all those guys aren't there. I was really ticked that some people were like, well, do we even call it a World Cup if Nor- Norway's not there? Yes, you call it a World Cup. It's their problem. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. I thought that was ridiculous. It's like, yeah, we all understand that they're they're the best teams and they're what make, uh, what heighten the level of competition. But it's still a World Cup and you're going to race it like it's a World Cup. And if they don't want those points, then, then some new people are going to come in and grab them, you know, and are hungry. Now, I will say on this, my general feeling on on COVID still, uh, it's it's not totally unchanged, but I I do think like the scary part is we don't know what the long term side effects of contracting the illness is. So you've got you've got it. It's a high risk certainly for people with pre pre existing conditions. We all we've all heard that we know that, as are other viruses and other illnesses, but this one more so. It's more deadly for people with pre-existing conditions. All right, we can take we can take that data and handle it. It it the 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 uh the risk of death for pretty much everyone else and we're talking by everyone else I mean, you know, pretty much everyone if you're younger than 60, it's a lot lower than is being felt in society and it's it's actually lower than some other viruses like you're more likely to die from influenza if you're a teenager than covid um and stuff like that so okay most of us don't have to be worried about death i think we should be able to reasonably agree on that the thing is is even so we we're aware now that like if i contract influenza my long-term side effects it doesn't appear like i'm gonna lose 20% 20% of my VO2 max. With COVID, we don't really know that. I think that's valid to be scared of, especially if as an elite athlete is is the unknown. On that point, I will say the there is an unknown with the vaccine coming too. Usually vaccines, you know, you need the three to five year um, uh, kind of trial to, to understand the long-term side effects. And the people, the creators of this vaccine have said that, 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 that it, we really would need three to five years to understand long-term side effects. We're not going to get that. So I, I, I think the way I see it, you're taking a risk by getting the vaccine as well. Kind of a similar risk as taking, uh, by not getting the vaccine. Because by not getting the vaccine, you're taking a risk that you might get COVID and then have to experience the side effects. By taking the vaccine, you are taking the risk of the side effects of the vaccine. So I think for each of us, we should have the the right to choose which risk we want to take. And and I think, again, you go cost-benefit ratio, right? For me, I kind of go, if I take the vaccine, I am guaranteeing that I'm taking a risk. You know, I'm guaranteeing that I will take a risk. If I don't take the vaccine, 
there's a chance I won't get COVID and I will never, never uh, have to take either risk, right? I'll have no side effects from the vaccine. I'll have no side effects from COVID. Okay. So, but the downside is, is you might get COVID, you know, and then you'd have to have that. To me, I'm a little bit like, well, why wouldn't I just take that risk? Because I'm young, right? I don't have the risk of death. So I, I should, I'll take my chances that I, I won't have to deal with anything uh, versus a guaranteed chance <laughs> of a side effect. Guaranteed. There, there is a, there will be, there, I'll have to worry about side effects if I take the vaccine. And the protection the vaccine offers me is that I'm not going to die from COVID. <laughs> I don't know. Like I already know I'm probably not going to die from COVID. So why would I take that vaccine? That's, uh, and so it, I guess I, I, it does bother me when people are talking about like, we should have mandatory vaccines. I don't think that's the case. And and I would even say for, for me personally, the, the only time I would take the vaccine, I think if I was in that pre-existing condition group, and even then I'd be a little nervous because, I, you know, I've heard this vaccine is a little more intensive than some of the other ones, right? Like you're going to have to take all of them. And after that first one, you might be feeling it a little bit. So I'd be a little nervous if I was in that pre-existing conditions group. But I think if I was over the age of 80, right, and, and enough kind of evidence came out that this is really going to protect you from COVID, I, I would consider it if I was in that 70 to 80 range. Um, and, but if I'm in the young range, like I've got my whole life ahead of me. So the, the consequence of getting a negative side effect could be devastating. And, and yes, the consequence of getting COVID a side effect from that could be devastating too. But again, if both of them could be devastating and I have a chance to avoid both, I think I'm going to take the chance to avoid both, especially when the consequence isn't that great, you know? Um, so yeah, I, 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 that's kind of where I'm at on that. And I guess it's somewhat connected here to with these athletes where I feel for them, where their careers and lives are at stake kind of in the unknown. But I would, I would caution an athlete of getting the vaccine because now you are taking a chance and this vaccine is way different. Haven't looked into the total studies, but I've heard it actually messes with our RNA differently than other viruses, which is very frightening, uh, from a societal standpoint. So that's another thing that we could maybe talk about another time. All right. So the other topic wanted to get to today <clears throat> let's talk minnesota vikings the vikings started one and five this year now they're six and six and all those early season defeats that we really had could have had seattle uh man there was a there was at least one or two other games that just kind of got ripped out from under us and we lost and th- this was it just sort of seemed like it was one of those years where when we w- when we could lose we would those games it's starting to really bite now to think like wow we could be 8 and 4 right now we could really be in the driver's seat but we're still alive and our playoff hopes are are really alive now uh but man it, it just kind of bites to think that i think we'd be challenging for the division lead Really, um, and and it just really is making me wonder what to think and expect of this year. I I do feel like right now in the NFL, more than any other year, every team seems kind of on equal footing. Maybe it's because there is no fans, and so the home field thing has really changed the dynamics and scheduling is different, you know, because if you think about it, strength of schedule would be somewhat determined on which opponents you're facing at home versus on the road. Um, You know, if the, if, um, if the bears and the lions are, let's say theoretically as good as each other, right They're, they're, they're equal in talent. 
and the Bears get to play the uh, the the Chiefs or you know that AFC opponent, whatever division the Vikings are are playing. I I don't even remember uh, from the AFC. If they're playing them at home and the Lions have to play them in KC, well, in a normal year with all the fans, that, that makes a big difference. Now this year maybe it doesn't, and so maybe that kind of alters strength of schedule. I don't I don't know if they those um, metrics if they really look into that or not. <clears throat> but I would imagine that, that that could affect things. But it just seems like this year, more than any other year, on any given Sunday, a team could go down. And and I think that has made it kind of almost hard to follow as a fan because, because each week I'm finding it's like, you know, we might just, what was the, a couple of weeks ago we just laid an egg. No, not a couple of weeks ago. It was before we started the winning streak when we just got blown out by the Colts or someone. I mean, it was just an embarrassment. You know, it's like, wow, we are awful, you know? And, and then we come back and strain together these wins. We beat the Packers, right? It's just, it, we even won in Chicago for the first time in forever. All these kind of things. And, and you're, as a Vikings fan, just like, all right, I, I don't know where we stack up at all, you know? And, and maybe that's exciting. In a normal year, I think it would be exciting if we could think like fans in the stands, maybe this is the year we make a run, you know? But this year, it's like, I, I, just, I don't really want this to be the year that the Vikings break through or the Vikings get to the Super Bowl. I, I, I want it to be a normal year where, where there is excitement amongst the fans. And that, that just doesn't exist right now in any sport. I think fans are really disconnected in general. The NFL, to me, seems like the the one season, I will say, versus MLB and NBA that is the most normal uh, when you when you, when you kind of gauge fan interest. I feel like NFL is, is doing better than the other two sports. It feels the most normal, but still, I, man, the other week, I, you know, just didn't even... Actually, m- many weeks. I just don't even tune into the Vikings game at all. I haven't been able to watch them, you know, as they happen for many years now or several years unless I really hack into some illegal website <clears throat> and just don't bother to do it. And then, you know, on my phone, I can't listen to the, the Paul Allen broadcast. So I, I literally have to be sitting at my desktop, you know, to listen to the radio call. It's just that's too much work. So I come back and look online Sunday night, see what the score was. And the next day I listen to fan line and, you know, the discussions all week about what happens. I, I feel like I still know <clears throat> what's going on. I'm an, I'm an informed Vikings fan, but the interest of let's sit down every Sunday and watch the game isn't really there for me right now. I know there's a lot of hardcore Vikings fans out there that, that are kind of disagreeing and, and every year is still the same. This wouldn't stop them at all. But I even think among amongst that population, the hardcores, there are people who are they just don't really care. You know, maybe it's COVID, maybe it's 2020. The cumulative effect of all of this has just kind of sapped them of their enthusiasm. If that's you out there, you know, we feel for you. We're thinking of you. Um, but but on that note, I want to say, just in talking about the parody uh, in the NFL, it appears that the Chiefs, are the the most legitimate team and I know the Steelers are undefeated but if you do if you look at the teams they've beaten it's it is awful their schedule has been just insanely easy so I'm not a huge believer in them I could I could definitely see them getting um rolled over by a serious contender um I I think you could argue those are the two teams at the top but man past that it's just going to be whoever strings together three teams. So in the AFC, I think I think the Chiefs should run the table this year, you know, and 
and that's that's kind of interesting that the defending Super Bowl champs they're right right ready to go. NFC though is just is just a pile right now. I mean, you've got the NFC East. The Giants are are division leaders right now. I mean, I want to get to talking about them, but and then the the West. Um, they they always kind of stack up and have good records. It seems like you know with the the Seahawks and now the Cardinals are kind of relevant. The Rams. That's always kind of a tough division to come out of, uh, and maybe that's the most legitimate division. I I'm a little scared of New Orleans, um, in terms of just being consistent. I think they they could be legitimate. They seem to always have a lot of talent, and they've been kind of, I don't know, had bad luck in the playoffs. Uh, it's it, it pains me to say this, but I think the Packers might be the most legitimate team, but they have shown holes too. I mean, they did get controlled by the Vikings. <laughs> so um, I think the Vikings have really almost as good a chance as anyone to win three games in a row in the playoffs, you know? <clears throat> so that's that's my optimism right there. But obviously, you know, we we could miss the playoffs. And if we make the playoffs, I definitely could see us getting just destroyed in the first round too. It's going to be one of those years where you just have no idea, not a year to bet on, on sports. I don't think, cause it's just, who knows now the talker I wanted to bring up was kind of our quarterback situation. Okay. And it connects to the NFC East and one of our local hometown heroes, Carson Wentz. So I'm a fan of Carson as a person. I think he's a cool athlete. Uh, when he was being rated so high coming into the draft, I thought that was kind of crazy. I mean, he has the he had the NFL body right at that time, and so the the prototypical quarterback body. But I was kind of like, wow, does he really have the NFL arm and all that stuff too? The quick release and leadership skills seem to be there. The intangibles seem to be there. But but how is he different than like a right-handed Tim Tebow in that aspect? <clears throat> and and obviously he was. He had more more mechanics in place and all that. And then really, you know, his first year went about as good as a rookie year could go. And his second year, he's like MVP candidate, just slinging it, you know. And he, he really was the MVP of the year. They won the Super Bowl, even though he didn't play that year at the end. Um, and, and now since then, he's taken this drop that, that all these statisticians and writers are saying is so historically bad you know no one has ever gone from as high as he was to as low as he now is it's it's insane and they're they're trying to dissect what's the reason oh should we put in Jalen Hurts all this and um as as much as I hate Philadelphia fans and probably the Philadelphia organization in general especially after what happened in the Vikings in 2018 and kind of the things you see and just the historical Philadelphia fan fan base uh they're the way they are they are who they are who we thought they were as Dennis Green would say, and so that that's that's fine, but but it's kind of they 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 uh, have brought upon themselves an element of distaste from from other fan bases. Like <clears throat> I think they probably pride themselves on being somewhat somewhat hated. And I will say it's kind of interesting that despite having one of the most vile fan bases, the Eagles have had some of the some of my favorite athletes come through there. When you think of like Reggie White. Right, one of the most moral, upstanding people. Randall Cunningham, same thing. Um, now Carson Wentz and even Doug Peterson, like their coach, um, Frank Reich, who was their coach. All those, all those pieces. <clears throat> I think uh, those are those are cool people to like and cheer for. So Carson's kind of the same way, okay. And so I like Carson. Here's my question that I'm starting to wonder: 
Is it possible that Carson Wentz, his brilliance that we saw in 2018 was similar to what the Vikings saw brilliance with uh, the, the quarterback we had that year? Who was that? No, Case Keenum. <laughs> I, had to, I had to do a quick Google search of Minnesota Vikings quarterback 2017 and, and Mitch Leidner popped up. I was like, wow, we actually had Mitch Leidner. He became a Minnesota Viking. How is that possible? A quarterback who played for the Gophers, and, and how, how does he even play for the Gophers for four years? You look at his numbers, four years in the NCAA. Here's his, like, touchdown year, right? His freshman well, freshman year redshirt, okay? So next next year, his redshirt freshman year, three touchdowns, three, and one interception, 619 yards. Sophomore season, 1,700 yards, 11 TDs, eight interceptions, Okay. The next year, 14 touchdowns, 11. So now he's like a starter, right? 14 TDs, 11 picks. And his senior year, 8 TDs and 12 picks. Barely 2,000 yards. Uh, I don't know. How does a guy play four years with th- with those kind of numbers? That's just so gophers. And then he gets to play for the Vikings? What on earth? But anyway, Case Keenum. So Case Keenum was, you know, some some people say... Keenum was the real deal. He was the gunslinger, and maybe we missed out. You know, we messed up by by getting rid of him and doing the big Kirk Cousins uh, signing. And then other people are like, no, people just hadn't defenses hadn't figured him out. You know, and so his his year was a little bit of a fluke. And the evidence of that now is you see him go to these other places and hasn't done so well. Uh, I, I'm not. I don't know exactly where. I think it's a combination of the, of both of those things, most likely, <clears throat> because I think he really was a gunslinger. And and his success in Minnesota wasn't solely based on the fact that defenses didn't really know what 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 was going on. And even if it was that, it's you can't extrapolate and say, well, yeah. And so if he would have stayed as the Vikings QB for the next decade, he would he would have been figured out and then been abysmal. Well, who's to say that you know Brett Favre every single year? Part of the genius is being unconventional every single year. Right, so the next year comes out. Defenses think they've figured him out, but but Keenum is is got new tricks up his sleeve, right? Because he he actually does have. He's not he's not um, uh, like a Dante Culpepper or a Colin Kaepernick, where they were given those chances in the following years, and defenses really did figure them out and kind of shut them down. Um, maybe he is maybe he is different. You know, um, I can think of some other quarterbacks that are like that. You know, where we've seen Todd Bauman. Other gunslingers that kind of came in and they they did amazing, and then defenses sort of figured them out, <clears throat> or or we didn't give them a, another chance, so they just kind of live in legend like <laughs> they were amazing. Why don't we keep going with it? Well, the coaches must have seen something in terms of their ceiling. You know, uh, maybe maybe truly Case Keenum had a ceiling where they were like, you know, this isn't the kind of quarterback that's gonna like continue to be savvy and to con- and continue to display those savvy mindsets where you're figuring things out making plays no matter what I think that's I think it's fair to look at now he's gone to other places if he would have been slinging 30 TDs after he left the Vikings I think you could you could rightly say well the Vikings messed up but on the same token quarterback success has so many other factors it's not just the coach it's not just the system it's not just the offensive line it's not just weapons it's all those things plus it's time i think that's probably the most important thing i think you could you could put just a kind of an okay quarterback in a system and if they were there long enough they would actually start to produce numbers and success because um 
<clears throat> I think we put sometimes too much stock in like those who figure things out really fast, produce gaudy numbers really quickly, or have really amazing offensive lines or wide receivers, and then we're like, well, they're a good quarterback, or or they were just put in a good system. <clears throat> I think the the uh, the range of ability there in terms of potential might be closer amongst quarterbacks than we think, and really it's like circumstantial. The ones who who find just the right system and get just the right number of opportunities and chances and then kind of get that snowball going of good things and then they get more trust and then they get more chances. I think that's a it's almost just again circumstantial and kind of luck, you know, like so I think it's 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 a little futile for us to sit around and talk about QB, what makes a good QB have success? And it's I think maybe even also futile for coaches to sort of try to prognosticate that. Um and so given all that, I think if we take a look at Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz, it, it would be an interesting discussion. Okay, because both of these guys have kind of monster contracts, and both of them have—they're not the fan bases are not sold out right on them, especially right now in Philly. Everyone is pretty ticked about Carson; they want him gone. A lot, a lot do. Minnesota, we were we were sort of calling for Kirk's head until some of these wins, and and there will it, it just sort of seems like there will always be a contingent of people that are anti-Kirk and a position of a, a group of people that are pro-Kirk. <clears throat> I am the type of person, honestly, right now where Cousins' contract is is actually pretty favorable because of how ridiculous everyone else's contracts have become. Like when we signed him, it's it was a little bit of a leap, but now it's almost kind of a bargain. And when you've sunk your teeth in this far, I do think time in the same system is probably the most important element for a quarterback. So you, you've sort of made the investment, and it's not a terrible investment. And and he does have tools. You know, he's a really—he has a good arm, okay? He can make throws. I, I also really do like Kirk's uh, demeanor in terms of, like— do the right thing, be a leader, hard worker, lead by example. I think some people see him as being a little bit maniacal and kind of over-analytical. I, I sort of just see that as he is super serious about his craft, and and he he's coming at it with a humble but intense demeanor. And, and so I really like the Kirk Cousins. To me, though, the, the, the people who are like Kirk, he's like, he's like a nice guy. And it seems like nice guys do kind of always, they never get what they deserve. And I, and I do sort of feel bad, like Kirk's going to be that guy. You know, he's done everything right in his career. He's worked for everything he's got. He's kind of, he has that combination of being humble, but also standing up for himself. He's He's got the the growth mindset, no doubt, you know, and, and, and he, that's huge. But it just sort of seems like he's going to be the kind of guy where, where he gets ribbed his whole career. He gets accused his whole career for not being good enough, for not being this or that. And I think that's kind of sad because I think he has some some really amazing qualities for an athlete. And maybe he's not <clears throat> a cold stone killer, but I think that's also a stereotype we sort of throw at nice guys. You know, <laughs> if you're a nice guy and you have all that all those good qualities and characteristics, then you're not a stone cone killer. You don't have the it factor. I think that's unfair. Um, even if it's true, it's it's you can't just say that just because he's a nice guy. Look at Wayne Gretzky, you know. Anyway, so Kirk, there, there it was. I just compared Kirk Cousins to Wayne Gretzky on the show live, Shovel Lake Public Radio. Mm. So what am I trying to say here? I think if you stay with Kirk, it's not a bad decision. If you if you live it out, 
uh, because he does have the potential to be a good enough quarterback, if not a, an above average quarterback. I, I really do think that because he, he has the qualities, give him time in the system, keep everything around him. It, it could work, but maybe it's worth taking a new risk is the cost benefit ratio of trading for a younger guy, like a Carson Wentz. Like what if you just traded straight up Kirk for Carson, you know, and Philly would take that because Kirk is performing better than Carson right now. He's more of a veteran. He's, he, he, you know what you're going to get. Carson's stock is as low as it will ever be. And the Vikings would be taking this risk of saying, okay, we're, we could get the real quarterback of the future here because Carson is a lot younger. Maybe he just needs a change of scenery here. You know, um, that's, that would, if I was the GM of the Vikings and that was offered to me, it would be it would be really hard to know what to do honestly because i think right now you're sort of looking at well with with kirk we have a shot at kind of you know maybe making a run and maybe maybe doing something and who knows maybe next year is even better as people grow in and around but you're also that the chances of that are still pretty slim right now the vikings do remember just a five, 5 6 weeks ago we were like are the vikings kind of in rebuild mode now right defense is old we don't have Daniel. he's got the neck thing it's like man this could be bad this could be like 3 4 years of rebuild you know and we have we have this weird dynamic where some of our athletes the harrison smiths the kurt cousins we need to win now because they're sort of in the prime of their career. They are on the precipice of going on the downhill part of their career. And so, you know, you you do have this weird dichotomy where just a minute ago we were thinking maybe we're rebuild mode. So who cares? Yeah, let's uh, let's unload Kirk. Let's bring in Carson Wentz. I think they would have been a lot easier decision back then. And so now you're kind of like, Ugh, do we do we just play out the Kirk thing? But I would almost just venture to say that if you swap those two quarterbacks, are you really lowering the chance of success in the near future that much? And, and I would say maybe not. You know, Kirk, like we just said, he could be good, but he's not amazing right now. And so I think you bring Carson in, there's a chance that he would step in, maybe even be way better than Kirk, but but he might just be just as good. And even if he's a little worse or a lot worse, you've just drafted a guy or, or I'm sorry, brought in a guy who's a lot younger. And, and that might be the most important thing, because at this point, I think the general trend of our team is we're, we're going to have to start sort of restructuring and rebuilding what's the face of the franchise. We might even be turning into an offense first team. You know, Zimmer has kept us defense first, but now all those defensive vets are kind of getting up there. And as we you know rebuild, maybe we 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 have a more established offense now. You know, our defense is going to be the young group. It, it's sort of weird, right? It seems like our team has flip flopped. When we have a young defense, then our offense is potent and established. Then, as our offense ages, right, all those young guys on the defense become stars. And so now the defense is good, and the offense is the weak point, or the offense is in rebuild mode while the defense is in their prime. We, the Vikings, we can't really seem to put it all together. It's like the last time that happened was two thousand nine. You know, where we kind of had everybody at the right spot. I mean, 2017, it was, I think we just kind of, I guess maybe 2017, you would say, was Zimmer's one time where he did have both groups sort of together. But I think that was perhaps uh, a little bit of a fluky run, too. Um, and and even guys like Thielen, 
Thielen's a solid player, man. And and another guy you love, right? He does everything right. His story's great. And and he's a good route runner and he is he has good hands and he does all the little things, blocks, does all the intangibles, right? He's just a good Midwestern guy. But he isn't elite in the sense of athleticism and I don't think he's even though he's put up really good numbers, I think that's a little more of a product of like again He's he's he gets the focus from anyone who is the number one receiver on any team is going to get decent numbers, and he's he is an above average receiver. And then the Vikings and him in particular have benefited from like our our passing threats are very numerous. <laughs> We've got Delvin Cook, we have Irv Smith, who's essentially a wide receiver. I know he hasn't had crazy numbers, but but he is a threat that that spreads the field. And even Kyle Rudolph still a little bit. And then of course, obviously the rookie sensation. Right, that we brought along um, opposite Thielen. I think that's helped him tremendously. I, I, I think if you stuck Thielen on the New York Jets, the same thing that happened to Eric Decker would happen there. You know, he, all of a sudden he'd have 45 catches for 650 yards and six touchdowns. You know, like I, I just, he's not Moss. Okay, sorry, no one's really Moss, but he, he's not even Chris Carter. He's kind of a poor man's Chris Carter, you know? Carter was great athleticism, great hands, willing to do it all, great story, right? Came up from nothing. And Thielen's kind of like that, only only a little less potent than Carter, a little less good hands, a little even. Carter had some speed, too, and size, but they're actually, I, I, I think they're kind of similar wide receivers. You know, Jefferson is sort of a poor man's Moss, and Thielen's sort of a poor man's Carter, you know, but we have a much better running back, much better tight end situation than we did in 98, I think. You know, I, Smith was good. Robert Smith was good. But I think Delvin Cook is the best, most talented running back we've seen all around. He is an, an offensive threat. He's more of an offensive threat than Peterson was. Um, and it's, all the things, different things you can do with them. I think if you, like, put them side by side, said, who's who's the better running back Peterson his longevity his ability to break tackles the total yards his career his the fact that Cook is injured every three games Peterson still wins out for sure in terms of legacy now Cook might 10 years from now if he puts in 10 solid years of 1400 yards rushing and 500 yards receiving Cook's better but you know you can't you can't just go well Cook has more abilities because he can catch he can, he can do all these different things he's a great runner so he's better than Peterson it's like well he first of all he's only played like 20 games in his career Peterson's still going at it now you know and athleticism wise he's still all there so anyway I think my take for the Vikings uh, basically just want to say yeah I think I think the Vikings the Vikings Kurt Cousins for Carson Wentz let's bring the guy home the NDSU guy maybe he comes to back back to our area and that's what it takes you know to be around around family, you know, and um, he just belongs here. He doesn't belong in Philadelphia. So could we resurrect it? Could we rebuild around Carson Wentz? Just a thought. I think um, it's an interesting talker. No one's brought it up, so that's an original take here from the Cedar Skier podcast. Let's trade for Carson. Let's bring him here. Hey, worst case, maybe maybe what happens, the Eagles just release him. That'd be kind of scary, but I wonder if we could bring him in here as Kirk's backup even, you know, and um, and just bring him here as a backup. And when Kirk's contract's out, if Kirk really doesn't give us an indication that he's he's going to be the real deal, then we go with Carson. You know, I think it's possible.